Amen. Please be seated. Happy New Year, and um, it's nice to worship together on the first Sunday of the year. Um, and uh, we are so excited that you are all here. And uh, um, you know, uh, this is a time where we make often we make resolutions, and uh, we spend the rest of the year kind of breaking them, right? But we make them, um, and we try. Um, and it's uh, you know. Today, I want to share with you um, some of the resolutions we want to make, some commitments we want to make for our church, for us as a church. And now, when you hear that, I know for some, you think, oh, okay, I guess, like, they're going to do that for their church. And I I want you to think it's us, like, you're included in the church. And so when I talk about church, it's not about just the service here or uh, the people that are up here, but it's all of us. And how we as the church, as we as the body of Christ, will commit to these things, you know, anything in life, and we all know this, anything in life worthwhile takes some commitment, right? Uh, To finish that assignment, it takes some commitment. To graduate, it takes some commitment. To go and get that job and to work hard, it takes commitment. To maintain a, a loving marriage relationship, it takes commitment. To raise children, it definitely takes commitment. And to follow after Jesus, it takes commitment, and I want to encourage you to commit to these things and to make a commitment. You know, um, uh, Ken Blanchard, uh, you know, leadership business writer, he says this, there's a difference between interest and commitment. When you are interested in doing something, you do it only when it's convenient. When you're committed to something, you accept no excuses, only results. And so I want the Christian walk for all of us to be more commitment and not just interest like it's convenient it's fun it's an interest it's casual we want to be committed and so this year i want all of us to be committed you know the gospel message that we hear that jesus died for you and me and that he freely accepts us and yet changes us uh, it's a radical thought and that brings about this kind of commitment um you know uh, today we're going to look at this passage in titus 2 um, and we're going to see the commitments that we want to make as a church um, starting this year. One is, uh, and I would just highlight just the, the outline for you, but the, uh, a commitment to reach all people, right, to, to be globally minded. Secondly, a commitment uh, to personal holiness. And thirdly, a commitment to the ultimate hope. And we want to commit to those things. And it all is based on, the foundation is the gospel message, the gospel message affects all of us. You know, in uh, Titus 2, you could have your Bibles open to Titus 2. But even in the beginning part, in the first verses, verse 1 and on till, the, uh, till where we started reading through 10, it lists all these different categories of people. Older men, young men. Older women, young women. Uh, bond servants, right? Parents, uh, spouses. All of them are included in Titus 2. And as Paul is writing to Titus, he is saying the gospel message is pertinent. It is relevant to all people, everyone. And because it is relevant to all of you, you have to be committed to these things. And he he lists off the ways that we ought to. And it's interesting because in verse 10, he says this at the end of it, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. Adorn. It means to beautify. It means to make it more attractive. We have adorned our homes during Christmas. We put decorations on it. A lot of you have adorned yourself. You look really good on Sunday, better than Monday, you know, um, whatever it is. But you adorn it. You make it better. You make it more beautiful. And he says that the gospel message, 
you, if you're going to adorn the gospel message, it's by how we live. It's by these commitments. And we want to live in this way. So I want to just go down this list with us. Number one is we want to commit to reach all people with the gospel. We want to be a church that is all about the nations. You know, our church motto uh, is a church for, who knows, all people, right? And you've seen it on our website, and you see it in our print material. A church for all people. It comes from Titus 2.11. For all people. It tells us this in that verse, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. So Jesus has appeared. The message is relevant for all people, all countries, all cultures and nations. And so we as a church are now committed to this. So one of our biggest commitments is kingdom-driven. You know, we want to focus on taking the gospel to all the countries as much as possible. It, obviously, we can't go to every single one, but we do what we can in our partnership with Project Hope and, and sending money to the orphans in Haiti through Project Hope. Um, our support in India of Ebenezer Theological Seminary and Dr. Thomas and the work they're doing in southern India to share the gospel there. Uh, our commitment to Chiang Mai Theological Seminary in Thailand, Pastor Daniel Kim and his wife and the work and the churches they're planting there, In his steps Ministries in uh, Miss Canton, Mississippi, in the basketball camp we run there in the summer and the, the tutoring and all that stuff that we go and try to share the gospel there. Our local 6-8 initiative outreaches that we have every other week or so uh, to go and take the gospel to all people. And so that is a commitment of ours. That is uh, something we want to do. You know, uh, another side of that is we want our church, our doors to be open to anyone that comes. And yet, we know that God's message will not leave anyone alone. It will change them. So this is not, hey, free for all, come with any doctrine, anything, and we're just going to let you just blend in. No, you're coming in, and we want the gospel to change you. And so the culture of Crossway is that we want to take all cultures out of it, except for gospel culture. And so this is not a cultural church. This is not a, uh, you know, a, this kind of church. And we don't celebrate, you know, we don't do language school and cultural things and holidays. It's a gospel-centered church. And we're committed to this. And so we pray for the nations every weekend uh, on Sunday. We pray for different countries. It keeps them in our hearts. It keeps them in our minds. It helps us to be global people. Our, our children in Crosswalk, they pray for the nations as well. And, um, you know, Pauline always, you know, has a good laugh and a headache because they ask the hardest questions. You know, in the middle of it, they'll, you know, kids are the ones that answer the rhetorical questions, right? And so they'll answer, what about this country? And tell me more about this country. You know, and she's like, oh, my gosh, you know, they, you know, ask so many hard questions. So, you know, I just tell them, just read it, you know, and, um, and deal with it, right? Just shut up and pray, right? Um, but we're committed to that. The second commitment, as I mentioned, is to a commitment to personal change by the gospel, personal holiness. God doesn't save us to leave us alone. Any good parent that loves their child doesn't, doesn't leave them alone. What do we say more to a kid more than anything? What do parents say? What's the number one word parents say to their kids? It's a two-letter word. What is it? No, right? I say no more than their names. You know, can I have a cookie before? No. Can I watch the? No. I mean, we say that. We're good at that, right? Moms and dads, as a good parent, you say no more than you say yes. Can I buy no? Can I have no? No. You know, and now it's like, you know, as soon as they look at you, you kind of know. Like, no. You know, what? I, just, I didn't say no. Just shh, don't even think it, right? And we know. 
And uh, it is something that we uh, want to emphasize here. Matt, personal holiness. Uh, verse 12, let's read this together. Uh, let's read this out loud together. Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. So you see a list. There's the no list and there's the yes list, right? The renounce list and the live list. Uh, to renounce ungodliness, worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in the present age. We need to say no often. In any commitment, any relationship, we have to continually say no. When you get married, you have to say no to a lot of things. When you have kids and you're raising them, you have to say no to a lot of things. When you want to get up early the next day to make sure you get to work on time, you got to say no to some friends. you got to say no. If you want to grow as a Christian, you have to say no. Even if it feels good, you have to say no. No sleepovers. You know, like, hey, I'm not eight years old. I'm not sleeping over the girlfriend's house. I'm not doing this. I'm not hanging out with so-and-so. No, there has to be more no's. And there has to be yeses at the right appropriate time. Saying yes to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present age while you're living right now. Not when you think, boy, man, when I'm in this age, this life stage, It'll be boring anyway, so I'll just work on godliness then. But it's exciting now. No, it's now, the present age. Things we have to say yes and no to. You know, uh, Friday, we, the pastors, we went out for lunch, and uh, we were talking about the, the old days, explaining, um, and we were, you know, Pastor Sam was talking about this, how we used to have to wait to see the score, right, for the sports. You guys remember, some of you remember those days. Like now it's all instant. You just check it on your phone right away. But back in the day, it was like, I had to wait. Uh, on like Sunday night, for example, you had to wait till 11.30 because there was a George Michael sports show. And that was the only show. That's the only way you're going to find out if the Lakers won, if the Raiders won, they probably lost. You know, like that's the only way you could find out. Or you had to wait till the next day. And what do you do? You have to get a newspaper. And what's the best part of the newspaper back in the day when we used to read it? It was just a sports page, right? Can I get the sports page? That's all we cared about. Now everything is instant. If I want it, it's there. If I want to laugh, I, I, I look it up on my phone. You know, if something is exciting, I, I'll check it out. If I want to buy something, I'll look at it. Everything is right there. And we have to be very careful because we become numb to these things. It's saying no more often. Right? In any kind of commitment, we have to say yes, and we have to say no to the right things. There's a marathon coming up, um, and I, I heard about this on the radio. It's uh, in Philadelphia. And it is called, and I kid you not, it is called the instant gratification run, right? Now, this is the kind of run that I could do. All right, so instant gratification run. What it is is you sign up, $35, and the run, you get all the benefits of a marathon, except you don't actually run. So they have the cross line, a finish line, and you literally step over, and everyone finishes, yeah! And then you get a number, you get a t-shirt that says, I ran in Philly. You get your number. You put it on Facebook like, I'm cool. I ran. You didn't. You know. Um, you get even an email saying this was your time that you ran this in. And everyone gets a one-second time. Um, and you say, oh, what kind of people are, you know, like, and, and then they even pick random winners because everyone technically is a winner or, I guess, a loser, you could say. You know, and so you pick random winners and you get you know, awards. You were first and second and third. and That's kind of the world we're living in. Instant gratification. If it feels good, I want to do it. And here, we have to talk about holiness. Now, some of us hear this 
Um, and I'll be honest, even when I hear it and I read it, it sometimes you go, oh, gosh, that's harsh. It's like guilt stuff. Like, Pastor, why are you talking about holiness? Gosh, you're taking all the fun out of my life. Really, holiness? Oh, why do we respond this way? We respond this way because we look at holiness from a perspective of religious holiness, not a relational holiness. The religious holiness says, I have to do what is right simply for the sake of doing what is right. Religious holiness says, I have to now abstain and restrain myself because of what other people think of me. I have to go and now try to live in this way because everyone else is watching me. I have to measure up. I have to live, religion says, I have to live this way so I can be accepted. Whereas the relational holiness says, because I'm accepted, I'm going to live this way. The married person doesn't say, I want to go out and, and go meet more guys or go meet more gals and I want to go, go to the club. I, I want to meet more. I choose to now stay with this person because I love this person. Right? You see, it's the relational holiness. You know, Jesus tells us to be holy, not because he's saying, I want to see if you measure up or not. No, he's saying, I've already accepted you, so act like who you are. And so there are things we have to say no to, things we have to say yes to. And my prayer for us this year, in 2015, man, by December, by this Christmas, and you know how fast it is going to come around, by this Christmas, that we would be improved in this area. That our friends would say, man, hey, you, yeah, your temper has kind of gone down. It's good. You've changed. You know, our kids would look at us and say, wow, you know, Dad, you're really patient. You don't honk, you know, when we're getting ready, um, which I am still working on, right? Like, you're, you're, you're getting better. Or our spouse says, oh, wow, you know, you, you don't yell for no reason anymore, and you're getting more humble. We have to keep working on this because all of us are far from this. Our goal is to be holy because he is holy. He is perfect. And so we have to go do this. Now, uh, you know, Jerry Bridges talks about that, the, the reason behind our personal holiness. And this is what he says. Uh, when we commit ourselves to the pursuit of holiness, we need to ensure that our commitment is actually to God, not simply to a holy lifestyle or a set of moral values. Right? The people of my parents' generation uh, were generally honest, chaste, sober, and thrift. They were committed to those values, but they were not necessarily committed to God. Many of them were outstanding moralists and even church people, but they were not committed to God. So even he says, they're doing the right thing for the wrong reason. And you might have grown up in church and you might have heard, don't do this and don't do this and don't do this. And you've never really thought about why, but you know you didn't really like it. And it's because it's the wrong reason, simply to be a moral person, simply because that's what the Pharisees used to do. Our holiness is determined by the gospel. We wake up every day and you preach the gospel. Man, Jesus died on the cross for me. He has called me his son. I am his. I am completely forgiven. I am his son. And I'm going to now try to live for him. I want to be like him. He has a better, he is sovereign, and he has a better idea than me. And you know, in our world, as we often are inundated with the pleasures around us, we have to be very careful and learn to say no often. You know, uh, uh, Stephen Covey in his uh, classic bestseller book, Seven Habits of a Highly Effective Person, you know, in, in that book, he lists all these um, different 
things we live for, work-centeredness and uh, people-centeredness, friend-centeredness. Uh, one of the categories he highlights is pleasure-centeredness. And he's basically saying these are all wrong ways to live. Um, and this is what he says. Innocent pleasures in moderation can provide relaxation for the body, mind, and foster family and other relationships. It's good. But pleasure, per se, offers no deep, lasting satisfaction or sense of fulfillment. The pleasure-centered person, and we have to be very careful because our culture and the famous people all around us, this is what they live for. And they keep preaching to us, this is what you should live for. The pleasure-centered person, too soon bored with each succeeding level of quote-unquote fun, constantly cries for more and more. So the next new pleasure has to be bigger and better, more exciting and with a bigger high. A person in this state becomes almost entirely narcissistic, interpreting all of life in terms of the pleasure it provides to the self here and now. Too many vacations that last too long, too many movies, too much TV, too much video game playing, too much undisciplined leisure time in which a person continually takes the course of least resistance gradually wastes a life. He says, you will waste your life. And how many of us, I mean, in simple things, you know, you had a burger here, but someone said the burger there down in Irvine is better, so you got to go try it. I say, yeah, the bun is actually better there. But then, you know, someone says there's a place in L.A., you got to go try it. Oh, there's something this and there's something that. And we're used to now fulfilling every lust, every thought that we have with our body instantly. And we have to be careful. And we have to slow down and say, what do I have to say yes to? And what do I say no to? And the third commitment that I want to share with you this morning is to find our ultimate hope in the gospel. Verse 13, let's read this out loud together. Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, there's a word there that's very important, hope. Hope is a big word. It's a deep word. Hope means something that is down the line, something in the future, something down there will be better. It's hope. We use it often. I hope this happens. You know, I hope this year is better. I hope that 2015 is better. I hope my new job is better than my last one. I hope this relationship lasts. We have a lot of hopes. Here, the one hope that is blessed is the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Because you think about every other hope that we have, it will let us down. Think of the things. And so this is the application. We can't get so excited over little things on earth. Now, I'm not saying... A, you know, lie to yourself. Now, you get something new, you get a new job, you get a promotion. Hey, these are good things. But don't let that be your hope. You know, hey, you, you know, you get a new car and you're like, I'm the happiest. God is, you know, and people have referred to God and they'll put that on their Facebook. You know, God is blessing me. I just got a raise. I found a dollar. God is blessing me. You know, uh, and we, we use it often. Don't get so excited over those things. Why? Because they'll let you down. You guys all remember, we all remember when you got your first car. I mean, how exciting was that? Right? I remember my, my, my second car, my first car I didn't like, but my second car, Acura, right, Integra. It was like the second year that this new brand came out. So we didn't even know how to pronounce it right. We had Integra. I remember uh, my car, you know, I didn't have automatic windows. Um, so I would open it without moving my arm. So people think I had automatic windows. Things like that, you know, but it was, I loved it. I loved it. Um, 
you know, because you have to look cool, right? They just open it real slow until they go to that side, then you're kind of doomed. Um, and I, you know, I had a cassette player that would flip sides without pulling it out and manually, like it was automatic. It was just, you know, right? Until before you know, what? Say, I don't want it. I don't want this car. I hate this car, right? Like it has a cassette player. I need a CD player. There's a new thing called CD. I need a CD player. I need a new car. Uh, think of everything that we have that we have put our hope in. From the trivial to what we find significant, it will eventually let us down. You know, on a serious note, you know, my, my parents and my in-laws, they're, they're in their 70s, and they go to funerals quite a bit. And so, I, you know, I call them, we, we see them, I call them once a week, say, How, how's, how's it going, what are you doing? And, oh, we have to go to a funeral, we have to go to a funeral. And it, there's this deep sense of loss because they're losing high school friends and college friends, people that they have had 50 years with, and they're losing a lot of them. If we put our hope in people or friends, um, we're going to lose them. If we put our hope in health, it will all go downhill as we get older. We put our hope in our minds, and we think we're smart. Even our minds um, go away. We put our hope in wealth, and we've all experienced ups and downs of money. The only thing worth putting our hope in is the blessed hope that is mentioned here, the appearing of the glory of the great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, that I look forward to being with him. I look forward to seeing him one day. I want all of us to not be short-sighted. If you want to have success in life, you obviously set goals, right? And you have to set goals. And you have the goal and you say, I'm going to try to get to the goal. Here are the steps I'm going to take. All of, I think many people in this world, the goals are too short-sighted. They just live for the weekend. They just live for the next vacation. It is so short-sighted because what are you going to do? It's going to end. I want all of us as Christians to have a long-term vision. I want you to think, man, when I get, because all of us are going to be face-to-face with Jesus Christ. When I get there, I want to start preparing my life now. When I get there, moms and dads in this group, you know, some of you are concerned about, man, paying for college for my kids. You know, if I could just get them into college and just pay for the college, I'm done. And we think this way. Don't be so short-sighted. We need to, you know how many problems and hardships our kids will face? We need to say, how can they get ready to find the blessed hope in Jesus Christ? For the rest of their days, when we are gone, how can they keep walking? And that has to be now our commitment. And this year, you know... When we say Happy New Year, we're saying, man, I hope it's better than last year. And I hope it is. But for a lot of us, uh, it'll be a tough year. You know, last year we had some very difficult situations for a lot of our church family members here. Loss of loved ones and loss of finances and security and, and broken relationships. A lot of us have gone through that. But the one word that we as Christians do not use, that is not in our vocabulary, is the word hopeless. Because we have hope. It is not finished. We have hope. We can go to the grave and it is not finished. We still have hope. And if we put our hope and we find our joy and we find our meaning in anything else, it will ultimately let us down. Our ultimate hope is in Jesus Christ. We need to wait for him. The word wait there that is used in verse 13 is the same word that is used uh, uh, in, in Luke 2 of Simeon and Anna as they were waiting the Messiah to come. They were waiting. Now I can die. My eyes have seen the child. They were waiting, both of them. And in the same way, we need to be waiting, ready, and finding our hope in him. So what happens when our hope is in him, the 
ups and downs of life here don't affect us too badly. The pains don't hurt as much because I have hope. The disappointments don't drag us down so much because we have hope. The joys aren't so exciting because it's nothing compared to Jesus Christ. Oh, you know, and, and so we want to keep our focus on him. And my, I, ask, I ask all of you, right? My prayer for all of us is that our commitment is, man, I want a steady, rock-solid faith, looking forward to the hope I'll have in Jesus Christ, and I'm going to live day to day, whatever the day comes, whatever it brings me, it's okay, because I have hope in him. Crossway, you know, we, we want to be a church. You know, we want to be a church family here. Man, that lives up to the name that we have as Christians. My prayer for us is that the gospel would give you a global vision, would empower you for personal holiness, that you would be better this year than you were last year, and that you would find hope in the gospel, ultimately in Jesus Christ. There lies the hope for all of us. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come to you this year. We dedicate 2015 to you. And we want this to be a, a meaningful year, uh, a year where we have commitments on things that are important. So, Lord, whatever this year brings, God, would you bless us with, these, not, with the knowledge of who you are, Lord, of what you've done in the gospel. And would you help us to run to that truth, preach that to ourselves every day, and to live now with a global vision of the gospel going to all the nations with a sense of personal holiness to wanting to be better than last year. And thirdly, to put our hopes on the foundation that is unshakable in Jesus Christ. So Lord, we ask these things. I ask your blessing upon your church. God, make our circumstances better but more than that change us regardless of the circumstance we thank you god thank you so much that we have a hope in you we pray in jesus name amen